Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So it is Independence Day. It's July 4th, and I just want to start out by saying I love America I love this country. I love the freedoms it affords. I love what it claims to stand for. It's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I love the principles it was founded upon. I love the, uh, I'm just grateful to live here. I think it is, even with its flaws that we'll discuss today, I think it is the freest society that's ever existed in the history of the world. It's not like really, there's not even much of a second place that's close. It's just amazing. So I want to start there because I do want to say, I am increasingly concerned in my love for America about America. I'm incre- increasingly, the more I watch the news and read headlines and whatever, the more I grieve over America. Uh, it seems to me, I was kind of thinking this week about kind of when it started to all sort of fall apart. I think probably in the last 50 years, we've started to see a deterioration. So I haven't even grown up in the golden era, you know, like I came way late to the party. Uh, But so I feel like in the last 50 years, we've seen a decline. And I think in the last decade, a rapid decline in the nation that I think we love and I think that was really founded. I'm going to bum us out for a little bit with some stats to start out. And then we're going we're gonna to raise the level of intensity after that, okay? So it's going to be a bummer, and then we're going to pick ourselves up here uh, this morning. Let me just give you some statistics, current statistics, um, on some major issues in the United States. So in 2019, there were 459,000 sexual abuse victims. Not in the Congo, not in Venezuela, in the United States of America. Today, in the United States, 43% of children live without their father. That is not a certain demographic or a certain city. 43% of United States children live without their father. Uh, in 20, this is 2019 again. In 2019, there were 16,214 murder and manslaughter cases in the United States of America. Let me even bring that down on a local level. So even Kansas City, the murder rate has increased every year the last three years. So far this year, we're looking to not break the record for the fourth consecutive year, which is great. Uh, But here, so in 2018 in Kansas City, there were 138 murders. 2019, there were 151 murders. 2020, there were 179 murders in Kansas City. Not Chicago, not New York, where we live in our own backyard. And one more national stat This is not a crime stat. It's a this is now legal stat. Since 1973, when abortion became legalized, there have been more than 60 million abortions in this, not in the world, in this country. More than a more than a million abortions every year. So just think our our current uh, population is 330 million people. We'd be knocking on the door. 400 million people had this not happen in our country under our watch. In a similar way, 
I'm, I'm, they're, the downer's still here. We're still, okay, we'll get, we'll get up in a second. But So ch- faith statistics are also on a decline. And this is where you see the, the rapid rate of this decline. So in the year 2000, church, according to the Pew Research poll, church membership or attendance was at 70%. So 21 years ago, 70% of Americans polled said they were a member of or regularly attended church. In 2020, that number dropped to 47%. That actually made the news. That was a headline because that's the first time ever in recorded history of our country that that number's been below 50%. 17% of Americans say they never attend a church service or event. Almost one in five never attend any sort of church service or event. Uh, and I'll just say church, church attendance isn't everything, but it is something. And it is, it is a metric to measure the faith temperature of a nation. I, I believe that. The percentage of Americans who identified as Christians in 2007 was 78%. 2019, that number dropped to 65%. The percentage of Americans who, on the other end, in 2007, who said they were religiously unaffiliated was 16%. 2019, that number was 26%. So one in five American, or one in four Americans, say they don't identify with any sort of religious affiliation at all. Last stat, and then we'll, we'll pick up the pace here a little bit. Only 49% of millennials, so that's my generation, ages 25 to 40, only 49%, less than half, identify as Christians. So this also is a first. It's the first generation ever in the history of our country to be under 50% identifying as Christians. So I think it's safe to say America's in a bit of a decline. The question, though, that I want to look at today and focus on is, what do we do about that? If we're people of faith and we're concerned about what we see, the decay, uh, morally, spiritually, uh, in every way, what do we do? And so we're continuing our series called Promises, Promises this morning. This is week number seven. And as we celebrate our independence this morning, here's what I want us to do for just a few minutes. Today, I want us instead to make a declaration of dependence. I think this is what our nation needs, is a declaration of dependence. Now, this kind of moral decay, spiritual decay, is nothing new in the history of nations. It's, it's happened everywhere. We're just the latest in this long list. And one of the first, or really the first to do that, would have been the nation of Israel, the ancient nation of Israel, God's people, as we'll talk about today. They went through these cycles up and downs. They'd worship God for a few generations and then just fall off a cliff, and they would face God's judgment, and they would you know, be in fear of God's wrath for generations, and then they would just go back and forth, you know? And so that's kind of what we're seeing, I think, in our country. So it's happened before. So what I want to do is focus on a very, basically the the moment after an important moment in Israel's history. So King Solomon, David's son, the third king of Israel, he builds and dedicates this grand temple to God, Solomon's temple. They have this huge ceremony, and everybody's there, and he does this huge ribbon-cutting kind of thing, and he sacrifices all sorts of things, and they sing, and they worship, and they open this temple up for worship to God. And then after, right after this public thing where uh, Solomon dedicates the temple, God speaks to him. And what God does is he sort of gives him a worst-case scenario guide. If things come off the rails, here's what you need to do. 
if things come off the rails after you, here's what Israel needs to do. And in the middle of what God speaks to Solomon, it's going to be our promise today and our declaration of dependence. It's one verse that we're probably familiar with that we're going to break down and look at its parts and see how it applies to us here today with our country. It's 2 Chronicles 7.14. Here's what God, this is God speaking to Solomon. Here's what he says in the middle of this discourse. He says, If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So again, on our Independence Day, I want to walk through this verse, the different parts of it, and see what God promises a nation that declares their dependence upon him. All right, so let's get into it. So the first part here, let's look at it for just a minute. God says, if my people who are called by my name. Now what this does, first of all, is it exposes a possible flaw with the Old Testament or a possible problem with the Old Testament as far as we are concerned reading it. Because the Old Testament is not really written about us, is it? The Old Testament is a history of ancient Israel, which... I don't want to speak for anyone, but I don't know if there's any like Orthodox Jews in the house or watching, right? Uh, so that would mean that, that all this would not apply. This would not apply. He's saying, if my people, right? So we read this in Isaiah 43. Uh, read, let's read verse 1 first, then verse 10. So the prophet Isaiah says this, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And then Isaiah 43, verse 10, But you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There has never been, and there never will be. So the issue with the Old Testament is that it's the story of Israel, not the story of Christianity, okay? So these are God's people. Israel, in this context, are God's people. So in this series, we talk about context off and on. It's important. God's talking to the king of Israel about Israel, what they should do if things fall apart, how they can return to God and what he will do for them, okay? So then you might say, well, then why are we talking about this in a non-Jewish setting? Why are we uh, American Christians talking about this verse? And really, in a larger question, why read the Old Testament at all? If it's not about us and not for us, then why is it there? Why is it over half of the Bible that I have? Well, here's why. Romans eleven seventeen, Paul writes this to the Gentiles, the non-Jews who have put faith in Jesus. He says, but some of these branches from Abraham's tree... Some of the people of Israel have been broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. So he says, and you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. So Christianity is basically an adopted sibling. God brought us in. We are now God's people. We would not have been when this was written 4,000, 3,000 years ago. This would not have applied to us. We would have been outsiders in some foreign land. This is not about us. But because Christ came and we put our faith in him, we have access to and relationship with the same God. So just like salvation is available to everyone through Christ, now even 
I wouldn't say all, but most of the promises from the Old Testament uh, would then in some way apply to us, and I think this is indeed one of them. So when we look back upon this, we can see ourselves in here uh, to some degree. So that's how this applies to us. We would indeed be God's people. But what does God first want his people to do? He says the first thing he wants them to do is to humble themselves. Remember, this is a challenge to God's people. This is not a, a, a warning to pagan people. This verse is not a warning to outside. This is to God's people. My people first humble themselves. And we know as Christians that this, I'll call it the humility challenge, we know it applies to us because in Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. Other versions say you must deny yourself. Now let me just say, we as Americans do a really bad job at that. It's not in our American DNA. What do you mean, deny myself? No, 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 baby. It's, it's <laughs> capitalism all the way. That's, that's, what we're, that's what we're founded on. That's what we're all about. The more the merrier, the bigger the better. Like, I want to, you know, God to bless and all this stuff. Right? But Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to reverse that thinking and deny yourself. So it's, in some ways, it's too easy to be a Christian in America in many ways, but that's what makes it difficult to really follow Jesus in our culture, is how easy we have it. I think that might be a reason why church involvement is down, with stats that we referred to. I think that's why we might see personal spiritual disciplines on a decline, because we don't, I don't want to deny myself and take time to read and study and understand the scripture, so I'll take five seconds and share a cute post on Instagram with the Bible verse on it, right? Sometimes we change that and say, oh, that's enough. You know, I've sacrificed my thumbs for five seconds to share the scripture that's amazing. I don't know what it means, and I haven't really read it, but it was cute and inspirational. But, like, no, we have to deny ourselves and take time with God, and we're not good at that. As, as a general rule, now maybe some of you are, but by and large, we are just not good at this. So this is a challenge. And this is just the first step. This is number one. There are more things that God expects us to do to see the nation turn back to him. That's what we're looking for, right? Our nation to turn. He's saying it starts with his people who will humble themselves. So I think quickly a great way to do this is through worship. And we did that this morning, but I mean even more than just a 15, 20-minute set once a week. I mean, like Paul says in Romans, to give our bodies as a living sacrifice, which he says is our true spiritual worship. So in humbling ourselves, as God says, and denying ourselves, that is worship. Because what it says is, I'm giving God control, and I'm okay with that. Like, I'm limited in what I know and what I can do and, and all that, and I'm, so I'm going to choose to depend, to make this declaration of dependence on God, and I'm good with that. I'm not begrudgingly doing that. I'm not holding on to these sections of my life. No, no, I'm totally depending upon Him freely, openly, because I know that's best. That's what humbling ourselves really is. Because that kind of lifestyle, it hum as we exalt God, we humble ourselves. So if we don't humble ourselves, we can't exalt God. And that, then the step one, we, can't, we have to get there before we can cross to the next one. So it's, it's an important thing to be a worshiper with our lives, with our plans, with our family, with our future, with everything we are, everything we have. We worship God and humble ourselves in doing that. 
So then the next thing that God says, he wants us to humble ourselves, and he says, pray and seek my face. So for God's people, prayer must be a priority. It must. To see this nation turn, prayer must be a priority. Psalm 28, verses 1 and 2, David, Solomon's father, uh, wrote this. He says, I pray to you, O Lord, my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me, for if you are silent, I might as well give up and die. You ever been there before? Verse 2, listen to my prayer for mercy as I cry out to you for help, as I lift my hands toward your holy sanctuary. This scripture made me think of the original Star Wars. You know, they find the droid that has the recording of Princess Leia. She says, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Okay? I think if we could say, God, you're my only hope, that's a great prayer to pray. I think if we could say, God, I'm declaring my dependence upon you today, that's a great starting point. The greatest prayer that we can pray is, God, help. Okay? And God's like, okay, which we'll, we'll look at what he does as we keep going. But So we, we should pray, obviously, but pray about everything, which we'll talk more about in just a minute. So I'll, I'll leave that for just a minute. But the phrase here that I love, he says, pray and seek my face. So there's a, script, there's a couple of scriptures that talk about no one can see God and live. No one can see God's face and live. So why would God say, seek my face so you'll die? Is that what he's after? No, it's not what he's saying. It's more this phrase is about relationship. Right? It's about a pursuit of God. It's about a commitment to him. I'm going to take time to seek him out, to search him, just for who he is, not for what he will do yet. Right? We're not there yet. We're humbling ourselves, praying, and seeking him, seeking his face, that we long to spend time with God, not just at meals. You know, God bless this food. Amen. That's great. That's not, what God, that's not seeking God's face. Not just when I'm in a jam, oh God, if you will help me, I promise to serve you. Now that's fine, we can, but don't just limit your prayers to those emergency, pull emer- like break glass in case of emergency. That's not what prayer is, okay? Uh, it's not just when we get bad news, a bad report, a bad diagnosis, whatever. That's not, that's not, our prayer should not be limited to those types of things. We want to seek God's face on a regular basis. God, what, what would you want me to do to help with the condition of the nation, Started in me. That's what we were looking at here. That's the essence of really the the other scripture that says, pray without ceasing. That's what God's saying. Pray and seek my face. Time, commitment, intention, pursuit of God. And then the next thing that he wants us to do is a hard one to hear, but we have to hear it. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Remember, this is not a judgment on another foreign country. This is not, this is for my people, God's people, right? They have to turn from their wicked ways. You'd say, I'm a pretty good person, so I can skip this step, right? But we've talked about how easy yet difficult it is to serve God in our Western culture in America uh, when we have it pretty well by and large. And so I think this is what God would say to American Christians, the American church. There's, there's two wicked ways I want to talk about just for a minute here. What wicked ways might we be guilty of, particularly as American Christians? We've referenced one, but let's talk about it again. Number one, self-reliance. So when it comes to the ills of our culture, trying to force change. Or thinking, if I vote every November or every four Novembers, I can vote in change. I can make that happen. We can make that happen, right? 
or if I get vote for the right people or the right party or whatever, then they can legislate morality, right? That's self-reliance. That's us doing the work that only God can do. Nowhere in here does he say, vote a certain way. I don't see that in here anywhere. He's telling us to turn from our wicked ways, thinking that that will solve the problems. Now, certain candidates are better than others in this respect. I'm sure that's true. You may even have your belief about a political party can solve the problems of this country better than another. But that's not the goal. The goal is the problems that we, and we talked about this a couple Wednesday nights ago, the problems that we face are not just societal problems, they are spiritual problems. All of the statistics that I just read, you might say, well, it's a gun problem. No, no, it's a spiritual problem. Oh, it's a, it's a sexual problem. No, no, it's a spiritual problem. Oh, it's a morality problem. Well, it's close, but it's deeper than that. It's a spiritual problem, and only spiritual problems can be solved with a spiritual solution, and only truly God can do that. He's the only force, the only power, the only person that can solve the problems that we see in our lives. So we can't rely upon ourselves. We can't have this self-reliance. That's why we talked about a second ago. We should pray about everything. Now, do, you, do I want you to vote? Yeah, I want you to vote. Do I want you to be involved? Yes, I want you to be involved. Do I, you, can you be involved politically? Sure, that's fine. I'm not saying don't do anything or don't do those things, which is the second thing we want to turn from in a way. But I'm saying don't just rely upon those temporary things to solve a deeper spiritual problem. It really, it's a spiritual problem that requires a spiritual solution. So we want to turn from self-reliance. And that's just one way of doing that. Um, I won't get into that. Let's go to the second one. (laughs) The second main thing that I think the American church should turn from is kind of the opposite, and that's indifference. Or comfort, or convenience, you might call it. And I I think we can see this by sometimes in our culture, the things that really bother God sometimes don't bother us enough. If we get too comfortable, it's it's too inconvenient to try to ask God what he might want me to do and then try to affect some sort of change on some level, and he does the rest. He fills in the gaps. We might say, just throw, have this attitude, just throw up our hands in the air. Well, you just said don't do anything, so what, why bother, you know? That's, again, not what I'm trying to say. We do want to do what God has for us to do in our little pockets of where we live and where we work and, what, and who we associate with to affect some sort of change, but ultimately allow him to do the real work. This indifference and comfort and convenience also kind of comes down to this. You know, I kind of like how things are. I don't want to make waves, I don't really want to sacrifice. I don't, if, if I push too hard, it may cost me something. Job, income, friends, family, relationships, whatever. If, if I speak too loudly about my beliefs, uh, they may, you know, strike me on the Internet, right? They may take down my YouTube channel if I get too political, right? Uh, I may lose my social media accounts, and I got to, you know, interact. And so I can't, you know, be honest about beliefs, and I can't talk about Jesus and faith and all that. It's like we need to turn from that. That's a wicked way, I would say, for Americans to think, well, I just want to be indifferent and, ah, whatever. You know, it's going to happen. It's all going to burn. That's, that's not the solution either. So we want to turn so it can't, we can't be self-reliant or indifferent. And this idea also of indifference brings up this, this term that I've heard. It's been around for many years. It's called practical atheism. And I fear that too many people that we've heard about in these surveys that say they're Christians are really practical atheists. Well, what is that? Well, a practical atheist means it's someone who would say, well, I believe in God. 
but in their everyday living, you would never know it. That makes no real difference in their actual life. How they live, how they give, where they go, what they do, how they speak, how they interact with people. Like, you would just never know. And I think, I think there's a lot of, if, you, if I'm on a survey, yes, I'm a Christian because I'm not this, this, or this. I'm not an atheist, but practically, I fear there might be a lot of those in this country. So we have to turn from self-reliance and indifference. We have to. We have to. So that's our part to play. Now let's get to the promise part. That, that's the if of the if-then statement. And now let's end on a bang. Here's what God says he will do. If we make this declaration of dependence, here's what God will do. The next section, he says, Then I will hear from heaven. 1 John 5, 14 and 15, John writes this, And we are confident that he, that's God, he hears us, Whenever we ask for anything that pleases him, and since we know he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. So John says we know God hears us when we pray. If that doesn't motivate you to pray, I have nothing else for you. Like, if, if you can understand, if you can grasp the reality, the truth, that the God above the universe who made everything hears you when you pray, that's motivating. At least it is to me. That God hears my prayer. It should encourage and motivate us to pray. But the thing here in 1 John 5, he says, anything that pleases him. So in Luke 18, Jesus tells a story about two men who are praying and they're praying at the temple, and one is a Pharisee, right? He is religious, he knows all the right words, he has all the scriptures memorized, he is a holy person. And the other person is a tax collector, who is a Jew working for the evil Roman Empire, taking taxes on behalf of this, I, would, I was going to say godless, but they're actually the opposite of that, this polytheistic, evil, bloody empire, why would you work for them? Because they pay me really well. You know, that's, that's why. Money talks. So these two men are praying, and he tells what the prayers are. So the righteous, holy Pharisee, he, he kind of, they're praying next to each other, and he looks over. They're, they're six feet apart. Don't worry. They're fine. <laughs> He's praying, and he looks over and sees this nasty, dirty, evil tax collector. And he says, God, thank you that I'm not him. <laughs> I'm not this traitor to my people. I love you more than this guy, obviously, because look at me. I'm wearing funny clothes with boxes on my head, and I've got all the Old Testament memorized, and I can quote it forwards and backwards, and I teach the law, and I know it. And so thank you, God, that I'm not like this guy. And then it goes over to the tax collector, this filthy, evil, nasty, ugh, we hate this guy, right? And here's, his prayer is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus, at the end of this story, says, now, let me tell you, the evil, nasty tax collector guy, God heard him. He was just, he walked away justified that day. Because why? He prayed a prayer that pleased God. Okay? So as we pray about our country, we don't want to pray, you know, that God would destroy half of our senators, you know, because of what letters after their name on the news. Uh, you know, we don't, that's not what we're saying. So God hears our humble, honest, heartfelt prayers. And so as our, as our heart, mine anyway, I'm sure many of you are the same way, breaks for our nation, God hears that. It doesn't fall on deaf ears. He, if you think you're concerned about this nation, just imagine how God must feel about 
how this nation is right now and how it seems to be trending. So he, yes, he wants to act, and he says, I will hear from heaven. And then he says something that's even better. He says, I will not only hear from heaven, but I will forgive their sin. Now, let's focus again here. Whose sin? His people's sin. That's, that's, that we're, that's really what we're talking about here. He will, he, he will forgive their sin. Let's go back to 1 John again. 1 John 1, 9. John again writing, If we confess our sins, not if we profess other sins, okay? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Again, let's focus on this is not a judgment for a foreign power or an evil empire. This is for God's people. This is for us. So whatever we have to turn from when we call out to him and say, okay, I, it's, it's gut check time for me, God. Am I really committed to you like I claim to be, like I think I am, like I've always said I was? Or is there something here that I'm not fully committed to with you? Am I holding something back? Am I relying too much on myself in my own existence, in my own life, with everything around me? Do I try to fix everybody's problems instead of giving it to you? God, help me with that. He hears and he will forgive and he will act. So the great thing about God, he wants to forgive. I think this is a huge misconception many have about God. Uh, he's, you know, he's just large and in charge and he just wants to make me feel bad. And I don't want to feel guilty, so I'm going I'm to just resist God. It's like, no, he, he wants to forgive. He desires to do that. He doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't hold things over your head, right? That's called condemnation. Again, Paul writing, he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is an attack of the adversary that's fighting spiritually against us. God doesn't work that way. And Solomon knew this because his dad, David, wrote Psalm 51 after his uh, affair with his best friend's wife and they lose their baby. He writes Psalm 51 and in that he says, Oh God, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. God's looking for this humility and this prayer. It's the same sort of thing. And he will respond. He will forgive our sin. And then we get to the part we're looking for at the very end. All right? So let's read this verse in its entirety one more time and close it with the last section. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now we get to the goal. Now we get to the good part. This is what we're here for, right? God has all the answers to all the questions that we have about what's going on personally, with your family, with our nation, with the world. And in every situation, his solutions are always best. That's really, in Matthew 5, what the teaching called the Beatitudes are all about. So I'd encourage you to go home and read that. It's just maybe 13 verses or so, Matthew 5. Jesus gives this list of blessed are the whatever, for, and then he gives the promise, okay? We've, we've done a series on that before. But th this is Jesus saying, hey, if you want your society to really be where God wants it to be, this is what you need to do. Just six or seven simple things on how we treat each other, how we approach our faith, how we view God, how, how we live, right? This is God's blueprint, is really the Beatitudes. It's how life could be because it's how life should be. So God will heal our land. So do we want to see that? I think so. I mean, this nation is sick. 
I mean, it is in need of help. It, it, we're, we're on a downward trend, and we are kept, we're building up steam as we roll down this hill. And some people don't agree with that, and, and that's okay. We're going to put them on our prayer list too, all right? We just will. But again, this focus is on us. This is sort of, again, a gut check moment. This is a declaration of dependence. God, forgive me for when things are good, really not paying a whole lot of attention to you, right? Forgive me that when I'm suddenly in a bind, then I blame you, right? We go from one extreme to the other many times, and neither one is the right one to be on. So God, forgive us for our self-reliance because we've had it pretty good for so long. God, forgive us for judging those outside the faith, and we should be taking care of our own thing, right? I've got this plank in my eye, Jesus says, and I'm worried about the speck in my neighbor's eye, right? So, and, and uh, the Old Testament says judgment begins in the house of the Lord. So that's what this is today. This is a, hey, the church has to stand up and do what the church is called to do, and then through the power of that, the Holy Spirit of God can then begin to heal some wounds of our nation, he can begin to fix some of the ills that we see. We can't do it. I can't do it. The president can't do it. Congress people can't do it, right? It's only through Christ, only through the power of God can we see this happen, and it starts with us. As we rededicate ourselves, as we declare our dependence upon him, we will see God do this. And so for the sake of our nation today, let's make this declaration of dependence.